we're here in the offices of the James Bulger Memorial Trust in Kirby um, with Denise and Stuart Fergus and we're here to talk about Denise's book I Let Him Go. Uh, Denise, can I start by asking you, there's some lovely um, bits in the book talking about the James that the world at large may may not know about. Can you just talk a little bit about the James Bulger that you knew and just the, some of the everyday things yeah. that made him such a little individual? Well, he started the day off by demands on breakfast. He used to get up out of bed, and as soon as James moved, then I was up with him. Um, he'd take himself off into the living room, put the TV on, because kids are very talented like that. They can wear TVs and videos and stuff like that. I couldn't, it's another clip. He used to sit in front of the TV, um, and then he'd turn around and look at me. He wouldn't even say nothing. He'd just like nod his head as much as say, well, go on then, go and get me breakfast. So I'd go, well, what do you want? Because, you know... They had different breakfasts there for him. But he always wanted Frosties. That's what he used to always say, I want Frosties. So then I'd go and do his breakfast and he'd sit on the floor with his breakfast watching TV. Um, after he finished breakfast, I'd then get him washed and ready to, to go out for the day where I took him around to my mum's. Um, there was always other kids in my mum's because I come from a big family. James absolutely loved playing with other kids. Um, yeah, he, he used to love entertaining them. He used to like try and dance like Michael Jackson. He loved Michael Jackson's music. A lot of people said I brainwashed him into like a Max, Michael Jackson. Yeah, I agree with them on that one because I'm a big Michael Jackson fan. That's all that was on in the house was Michael Jackson's music. That's where he picked it up from. And what was his favourite song, the Michael Jackson? Um, remember the time he used to love the video to that because of the magic beans. You know, he just he loved he put that on constantly. Um, that's the the main one that he, he tried to dance to, to Michael Jackson to um, yeah, just watching it, it was just so funny because his hair was that light and fluffy as he moved, his hair moves with him so it was just bouncing everywhere, it was just a little character I've got to ask you about his favourite uh, one of his favourite snacks, uh, chip sticks which he didn't just eat, I believe he, no, uh, he did didn't. something else with them I actually, he, he asked for these crisp ones eh? so I, I went and gave them opened the bag for him I go into the kitchen to get a drink and when I come back I look to the curtains. They were brown curtains, so all these chipsticks were hanging off the curtains. And it, it took me a couple of minutes to realise what they were and he's sitting on the floor laughing his head off. And I thought, you cheeky little monkey. So I, I had to try and take all of the chipsticks. Obviously I can't give them, them back because they've been all over the curtain. Um, but it, it was just so funny just to see him just sitting there laughing past himself because he threw all these chipsticks and he, they clung to the curtains like darts. Let's just talk about the book um, itself and just coming to do it. It's we're approaching the twenty fifth anniversary. Why did you think this was the right time, Denise, to to put it all down on paper once well, and for all? Because I had other kids and they were so young, um, I had to put all my time in knowing to raising them. But um, I just thought the time was right in writing the book. I've never done anything like this before. And when I looked into it, it was actually Carly, my ghostwriter, told me just how many books had been written by people that didn't even know James. And I thought, you know what, am I the last person to do this then? And because the lads are growing up now, I can put all my time and effort into writing the book. And I, I did want people to, although they didn't meet him, but try and know James the way you know, they approach me. Yeah, the amount of people that I get coming over to me saying that, you know, they, they treated James as one of their own. So I thought, you know what, all the support that I've had over the years, I can, I can do this for them, you know, I can try and let them see through my words what James was actually like. And has the book, it must have been very hard to write it, but has it made you stronger? Has it helped you in any way? 
Do you know what? It has. I thought it was have been one of the hardest things that I would have had to do. Um, but Carly's just a lovely writer, and you know the que- she she asked the questions in the right way for me to answer. Um, there's a lot of things that come back to mind that are totally put at the back of my mind. You know, memories start fading, and I was scared in case that happened to me, and it it did start happening to me without me even realising it. But a bit right in the book, all our memories come back, and they're not all bad memories. They're more good memories than bad. Um, that's why it's on the charity because I wanted to move away from all the dark days and take James's name to another level and not just be remembered as the murdered child. I wanted him to help other kids under his name, so that's what we've done with the charity. So, yeah, we're writing the book, it did bring a lot of memories back, but mainly good. Mm. James will be 28 um, this March. What, what sort of young man do you think he would have grown into? Do you know what? I get asked that question quite often and I don't really know the answer to it. I can only look at my other lads the way they've grown up. They're all good kids, you know, they, they've never been in, in trouble, touch wood. Um, you know, they, they're doing good in life. Michael's got his own little car now, they're making their own money. Yeah, the youngest is at college, so I'm sure James would have, you know, done the same. You know, he'd have kept his nose clean and I think he would have had a job and possibly his own little family by now. I really don't know. Just, just going back, through the book, um, there's there's one image which people all around the world will will think about when they hear James's name, and it's it's now a very infamous and haunting image. But at the time, it was an image which gave you some reassurance, and it's the image of James with the with Venables and Thompson mm. that we now know. Can you just explain, just remind people how you would have felt at that time when you first clapped eyes on that that striking image? Well, when I seen James with two young lads, I, I honestly thought that, you know, they took him, not meanly, but, you know, um, the, the enticed him out of the shop, but I didn't know that at that time. I just thought, you know, that he went off with them to play, because as I say, James absolutely loved kids and he trusted them. Who wouldn't? What child wouldn't trust another child? Uh, I think if I'd have seen him being led off by an, an adult, then I think things would have been different, would have felt different mm-hmm. and even thought different. But because I've seen them with two young lads, I didn't think for one minute that they were going to do what they'd done. Mm-hmm. No one did. No one could have predicted the outcome of, of mm-hmm. what they'd done. There's lots of things in the book, Denise, which people might not be aware of. They know you've suffered a great deal, obviously, but the little details they might not have um, known about. While you were waiting for news, uh, of James, something happened at Marsh Lane Police Station uh, when someone came in. Uh, can you just explain what happened there um, with the frogman? Yeah, um, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think, you know, I mean, them people do an absolutely amazing job. Um, but he, he just walked in with a pair of dirty, scruffy-looking trainees and he held them in front of my face and there was much to say, you know, are they James's? And, as I said, no, and I felt relief that they weren't as he just walked out. But, I mean, their job must be so hard, you know. He didn't know what the outcome was going to be. If I'd have said, yeah, they're James's, then he would have been on a whole new, different road than to the job that he was at. No, it's just, you know, I can't blame him for doing that, but I just thought it was quite strange and just walking in holding a pair of trainees in front of my face and walking back out without saying a word. And again, before James was found, there was a phone call made to your mother's house, which yeah, was, I was actually, Yeah, I was actually coming down the stairs um, when the phone went, and I just picked it up because it's, it's just something that I, I was used to doing. Um, and there was a voice on the other end. All he said was, it was a man. 
and all he said was, I've got James. And I was going, well, where have you got him? Where are you? You're, he's not yours. I need him back. And on that note, he just put the phone down. I mean, you were going through agony anyway. How did that make you feel when you had to put the phone, he put the phone down? Well, I went into my family and told my family about the phone call and they were saying it's probably a hoax. Mm. You know, they didn't leave no information of where they were or anything. It's probably a hoax. But it doesn't help you when your child's missing. The last thing you want is for someone to phone you up to say that they've got, got them. Now, he probably didn't expect me to answer the phone, but I did. And you've got to realise that when something like this is happening to someone, I don't think these people should come out and, you know, add to the, the misery by pretending that they've got the child. Mm -hmm. Another aspect that will hit readers, I think, is um, you're talking about the reality of the situation only really hit you properly after the trial, it's obviously a long time yeah, after. Because you're living under the cloud really, I mean, I had a veil, I walked around constantly, it felt like I couldn't see beyond, it was a black veil and it felt quite heavy. Um, I just thought once the trial was over, you know, James was going to come back to me and I was living on that, I think I, I really believed that. Uh, but when the trial was over, James didn't come back to me and that's when the grieving does really kick in because everyone goes off and does their own little thing in their lives then. You feel like you're left on your own and you're having to deal with it. Although I wasn't, I know I wasn't, I still had all my family around me. But they've got a family of their own and they've got to get back to normality as well. But on that note, you, you never ever get back to normality. You realise then that your life will never be the, the same again. Mm -hmm. Tell me, that's just reminding me there's parts of the book where you feel you have felt James's presence. There's mm -hmm. a Tell me about the time when you were in the bathroom at home and you, you felt James was there. Well, I was cleaning around the sink. Um, obviously, I, I had a jar on me, but I was actually in a nightdress. And I felt something at the back of my nightdress. And when I turned around, there was no one there. So I shouted down to my niece, have you got Michael? And she said, Jerry's down here. So there's no way Michael could have got down the stairs that quick. So it was just, and it was definitely a thought, I'm not imagining it. And I thought to myself, am I going mad? Am I going insane? Am I imagining this? Well, definitely was a tug of the back of my life dress. Was that a comfort looking back that that actually happened? It, quite, it freaked me out a bit because mm. I thought there's no one there who's just done that. <laughs> just going back to when you talked about the reality only hitting after the trial, people's hearts went out for you naturally on the day of the funeral. And to get through that, well, you talk about it in the book. How was that? How, how did you get through that? I pretended that it wasn't happening. Um, I pretended it wasn't James's funeral. I couldn't look at the casket. I just wanted the day just to be able as quick as it starts. Uh, no one expects to bury a child, especially your own. Um, yeah, I, I just wished the day away, to be quite honest with you. And of course, not long after, um you found yourself pregnant, you were surprised you found yourself pregnant with mm. Michael. Um, some readers might not know, before James, you lost Kirsty yeah. still to stillbirth. Um, so having lost Kirsty and then James, what sort of emotions, what was going through your mind when you knew you were pregnant um, with Michael? Well, I was when I had James, I was still grieving Kirsty. Although I never met her, I still carried her for nine months. Um, I held her in my arms when she was born. She was. She, she looked absolutely perfect. Um, it looked like she'd been crying because her mouth was like, she had like an upside down smile. Um, so after losing Casey and then having 
James, I was very protective over him, so I still don't know how it happened that day. Um, so I was grieving one child as another, and then when I had Michael, I was like grieving two two kids, but having to look after another. Not that not having to, but I wanted to without Michael. You know, I don't think I'd, I would be because I was a mum, but I never had any kids. People will remember those pictures of you on the TV going to Preston Crown Court for the, um, the latter part of the trial, at the very end of the trial, and you're obviously heavily pregnant then mm. at the time. Um, can you just tell us what you what you say in the book about your first sight of Thompson and Venables and your your view of them? Well, I remember sitting in the court and looking across the room, and obviously a clock from straight away because of the sizes, um, and. They had the backs to me, but the, like they were, they were moving, and I thought, oh, they broke down crying. Finally, they've realised what they've done. But when I looked again, they weren't. They were actually laughing, and that that image will stay with me forever. Because I thought you're laughing over taking my child. You know, I'm having, I'm about to bury him, and you two were standing there. I think it's hilarious. You also write about the families who were with them at the time and their they, response they were in court. Not, they were not a bit put out at all. I don't think they, they actually cared about their kids done. I would be mortified. I'd disown them. My child is another child. I wouldn't be able to cope with that. Mm. I'm just, just reflecting on the trial and what came out. Um, you write in the book about the the number of people who saw James um, with Venables and Thompson. I think it was 37. Mm. Um, but you know, you had a very clear message about that in the book. Yeah, well, I mean... If you see a child with two other kids, there's no way you think that they've kidnapped it and they're going to do what they've done. So I don't blame them, people. I mean, they've got to live with that for the rest of their lives. And, you know, I do feel sorry for them because, you know, at one point, one of them could have saved James's life and that, that's what they've got to live with. Um, but they chose to, you know, not chose, but, you know, they, they let, let him go with them. Uh, one woman actually took James by the hand and... You know, it was right by the police station. She said, you know, I'll take him to the police station. But they were that conniving and crafty that they said, no, we're, that's where we're taking them ourselves. Mm-hmm. So she let go of James's hand. And she was the last person to see him alive. But again, you know, as you were saying, no one would have imagined you saw the, the that CCTV image and those people saw two lads with a, a very young lad. and No one knew what no. they were going to do, only them two. Mm-hmm. The book's obviously given you a chance to have your say finally. Yeah. Uh, you've, everyone else has had their say. And you do respond to you know, some terrible things that have been said and written about you in the past or mm. just, just gossip and what have you and labels. Can I just ask you about those? One was these horrendous um, rumours about the shoplifting mm. that was allegedly I've taking never, place ever, that day. I've never shoplifted in my entire life. And I certainly wouldn't take a child if I, if I was shoplifting. Um, I'm just not that way inclined. So I, I wouldn't shoplift. Um, I'd go without before I'd done anything like that because the way my luck runs, I'd be locked up for it if I tried. I'd be caught straight away. People have accused me of leaving James outside the shop. I would never dream of doing that. Why was I? It's not, he, James was not a dog. And, you know, some shops don't accept dogs, and I get that. But he was never a dog, and I wouldn't leave him outside. As you pointed out, CCTV was following you all that day, you know, you, yeah. you look back at what you were doing anyway. Also, just to take you further forward, um, you've been accused of organising vigilante groups. No, I would never do that because I wouldn't want blood on my hands. Um, give them enough rope and they'll land themselves. That's, that's the way I think. 
here, let them let them live looking over their shoulders. It's not me that it's having to live a life like that. I've done nothing wrong. Um, it's them two that were in the wrong from the beginning to the end. And people aren't shy of giving people in the public eye labels, um, describing them, thinking that they know them. Um, you talk in the book about being being called hard-faced mm. and talking about if you if you don't smile, that's what happens, and if you if you cry, um, you get called other things, fragile mm. or someone who's on the edge. Um, how has that made you feel over the years to to read about this sort of thing? Well, it was hard in the beginning, but I thought, you know what? I've had to move on with my life. I've had to deal with everything that I've, I've dealt with in life. And if people want to judge me, then that's entirely up to themselves. I don't judge people by the, by a smile on the face or a frown. You know, people show expressions all the time. I have got a life, and if I want to go and have a drink in a pub, then I will do that. Um, you know, I've had some smoke, and I've brought, I've raised my kids. You know, we've got a nice home. I'm happy in life. I've got Stuart. So if people want to judge me, that's entirely up to them. But mm. once you get judged, that, that name will stick, stick with you forever. Mm. So, but there's more people that are for me than what there is judging me, so mm. I appreciate that more. Uh, you mentioned Stuart, and uh, there's a lovely part in the book which talks about you meeting him for the first time um, in the cavern in Matthew Street. Um, and there's an aspect to the meeting that was maybe some people in the, reading the book might be a bit surprised by, or maybe not. Um, before I ask Stuart this question, um, what are your memories of that and what you wrote about that very first time? Um, I, just, I just remember standing in, in the cavern, I was with a few friends, um, and I think there was a couple of family members with me as well, my nieces, and Stuart just approached me. I, I, it was one of them, you know, it was a nice out, but I wasn't enjoying it, I wanted to get home. Um, and then Stuart approached me and asked, did I want a drink? There's a little bit of a story to that, though, isn't it, really? Well, Which, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> So one of my friends, he asked what, a friend's of mine as well what she wants to drink, so she just said Coke. So I said... A glass oh, of Coke. A glass of yeah. Coke, yeah. yeah. I went, I'll have the same as it. Then I went, what have you asked for? And she went, Coke. And I went, oh, no, put a vodka on mine. Stuart, your memories of that, because um, you well, didn't recognise Denise, did you? No, I mean, obviously, I was at the bar... Um, and obviously seeing these from the back anyway so obviously you don't get to see the face and when she turned round I was obviously like the look of her so I just talking to Mason I was like oh, I'll ask her to see if she wants a drink well do you remember that pop that nice as though you always take the mickey out of me top because that's loads of zips on it he has a waist jacket on I'll never forget it <laughs> he's probably still got it you know I'll find that yeah, it won't somewhere. fit me now I'll tell you that one now but it just had loads of zips on it so my nickname's on Zippy <laughs> and is it true Stuart that your mates who did recognise Denise, called you, called you to one side? Yeah, he basically, obviously, when I was starting to talk to Denise, and obviously, um, as you imagine, obviously, just when you're talking to someone, you know, where they're from, what do they do, you know, blah, 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 are you single, you got any kids? And at that point, your mate basically kicked me in the back of the ankle. And I was like, what's the turn to him? And he's like, that, but damn yeah. I was like, I just turned around and went, oh, Denise, I went, I didn't realise you, I'm so, so sorry, I'll leave you alone. I was going, no, I know, no, it's, it's okay. Um, so yeah, it was obviously it was then when I first started obviously seeing Denise and obviously going to the house and seeing seeing the picture of James on the wall. It, it was a very surreal moment then as well. Denise, that must have been was that refreshing for you in a way to to meet someone who didn't know all about you or didn't think they knew all about you. Well, it took me it took me a while to introduce Michael to him because I didn't want Michael to get involved in something if there, if there was nothing there. 
So mm -hmm. it did tell Stuart, you know, the road that I was on and the fighting that I was doing for justice for James. I explained all that to him and I said, I understand if you, you totally want to walk away now, but just don't meet me son and you know, build his hopes up into us being together if it's not going to happen. But Stuart said, you know, I'm with you 100% and anything that you, you feel you need to do, I'll totally support you. I mean, obviously, age-wise, um, there's a few years gap. He You're... lied. <laughs> he lied over his age. <laughs> what did he say? I said I was older. I was a couple of weeks off my 21st birthday, and you'd have been 27 at the time, wouldn't you? So I said, oh, yeah, I'm 24, 25. See, I didn't so lie over my age. I told him exactly how old I was, yeah. but he lied over his. You lie over yours now, <laughs> Obviously, Denise, a lot of men maybe wouldn't have... You know, they may run a mile, you know, mm. uh, Stuart obviously didn't. Do you want to, obviously, you obviously you'd had Michael by then. Uh, you've since had Michael Thomas and Leon. Um, without wanting to make him blush, do you want to say a few words about Stuart and just what a support and rock he's been to you over the years? Do you know what, yeah, he has really, he, he stood by his words in the beginning when he says anything that I feel I need to do, then he's going to support me and he's done that. Um, even if it's just mine and the kids while well, I've had to, you know, do all the running rounds and court cases and stuff, uh, campaigning. But I mean, he's been there when he could be there. If we could get another babysitter, then he was there beside me. But yeah, he's just he's just so so strong for me, really. And he's never really says what are you doing that for because he totally gets why I'm doing stuff. Just talking about some of the everyday things people looking at the book may not even think about. Um, you talk about you've never been shopping alone since mm. the day James was taken. Um, there's also, um, you talk about when you've all been shopping, when your kids have been growing up mm. and you've gone out with all the kids and, and Stuart as well. Uh, just explain to readers a little bit what was going through your mind on those occasions. Um, you know, maybe some of the fears in your mind when you were well, out shopping. When we did have to take the three of them out shopping with us, but my sister did offer, offer to mind them constantly, yeah. didn't she, my sister Barbara, or my sister Risa, but I'm like, no, but I need to do this. You know, I can't keep going shopping without them. We need to do it. Um, so we'd always get one of them double seats of trolleys where we sit Thomas and Leon, and then whoever was pushing the trolley, Michael would be in the middle. So we'd be in the middle of, of either me and the trolley or Stuart and the trolley. And not once as we take our eyes off the kids. Not once. Was it very stressful? Were very stressful occasions for you doing doing that? It's it's so ordinary for everybody else. After what you went through, was it a really traumatic occasion? I it, it was. I was scared in case Michael did like do a runner in the shop, but he never would. We made sure. I mean, we even had our hands on Michael's hands yeah, as we were pushing like, the trolley. When we used to go to the supermarket, and obviously then. Nine times out of ten, it'd be me with the trolley, and obviously it'd be you getting, cause obviously, not labelling women, but they know what shopping's required in that. And you just see sometimes a blind panic turn around and go, Where's Michael? mate? he's right here. Tom's like, Everything's fine, don't worry about it. So I think that's what you, it's just a reassurance that you needed someone. But the best you. one was, because you, you try and bring your kids up not to talk to strangers. I mean, it was different for what we would don't talk to strange kids, don't talk to strange men, don't talk, talk to strange women. But like, I had a lot of people approaching me and I was talking to them and like Michael would go, who was that? And I'd go, oh God, how am I going to act? I don't know. I can't say I don't know because I'm telling them not to talk to these people. But I'd say, oh, it's just someone who supports what everything that I'm doing. But like then you started getting on to it, didn't you? And he used to walk away and leave me to talk to the person that approached me. Keep an eye, keep an eye's view though, just to make sure. But... 
Uh, Stuart, just on that before we leave it, um, again, it's probably a lot for a lot of men to to take on. But have you ever found it overwhelming? You know, there are times of being overwhelming is obviously when a scene's and he's upset because even as a husband, um, a father, and like that, when you see someone upset, there's there's a lot you obviously you can do. But over circumstances like that, what can you do apart from give her a cuddle and a bit of reassurance? Because she's going through like the deepest heart thing that anyone in life would ever go through. And again, over the years, the way she's been treated in certain aspects and things, it's a hard thing for anyone to take in, mm. let alone just obviously a lady from Kirby. Mm. I think you talked in the book, Denise, about the only time you've lost it when since you've been with Stuart. Mm. Um, you smashed up. You smashed up the bedroom. When you say smashed up. <laughs> <laughs> you regret saying that like, yeah. like that, aren't you? I kicked the AZ said a few times. Yeah. Um, yeah, because all the campaign was on, all the fighting was on, I just thought it was all total waste of time. Um, at the end of it, Thompson and Venables were getting released, released anyway. They never done no time in, in a prison. That was the day they were released on life licence yeah. in um, 2001. They've done no time in prison, so I don't think... You know, they were punished for it. I feel that they were rewarded because the young offenders home that they were both in, they got to choose carpet, bed and wallpaper. They got given the best of everything. Everything they asked for, they got given. Designer clothes. And I was just like, they've, they've murdered my baby and yet they're getting rewarded for it. There's no punishment here whatsoever. Um, but as it stands at the moment, Venables is now where I wanted him to be back then, behind bars. Um, and it certainly wasn't over James, it was over other things that he's done now. Richard did say, you know, a leopard never changed its spots and because they were never punished, they will go on to uh, recommit more crimes and that's exactly what's happening. And as we touched on before, people have had their say about you as a person over the years and they've reacted in all sorts of ways. There's been unpleasant things on social media, mm. um, in the media itself, mainstream media. Um, but there's also been lots of positive stuff. How do you reflect on all of that now? And the book also mentions some fantastic examples of mm. the way people have responded, especially on James's birthday, for example. Well, do you know what I mean? There's only a couple of people that you know have tried to pull me down. But when I look into it, it, there's more support out there than what there is. It's more positivity than what there is negativity. So that's the way of moving forward and moving on from it. Um, the the amount of messages that I get on social media, you know, telling me that they support me, they're hundred percent behind me, anything I need them to do, just let them know. These are the messages that I'm getting even to this day. So that does help me, you know, along the way. And don't get me wrong, yet there is days where I'm thinking, do you know what? I'm just wasting all my time and energy with this. I feel like throwing the towel in and just, you know, just being mum and housewife and running the charity. But when I'm out shopping, I get people come come up to me saying, you know, keep up keep up the fight because if you never done it then no one else would have done it mm. and I think you know what they're so right and mm. that's what gives me the, 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 the encouragement to carry on doing what mm. I'm doing mm-hmm. and tell me about what happens on uh, James's birthday every birthday um, with, the, with the flowers um, and the, the person who gets in touch with the florist it's by the actually his, his anniversary, Is it anniversary, anniversary. Right? every year um, this couple, I don't even know where they live, where about they live. Just down south, we, we keep asking the forest for the, uh, the details, don't we? I know we did get them, but I lost yeah. them, didn't I? Yeah. Um, yeah, every year they, they've always put flowers down. It's not just 
a bunch of flowers. It's it's a nice little posy that they put down for them, and they're always lovely. And the florist always takes a picture of the flowers they put down and send the picture across to them to let them know they are the flowers that they bought. But it's, it's so nice them. They, I think they still do it now. Don't yeah, they they? yeah, yeah, McCullum's, yeah. But um, I'm expecting this year to. I'm expecting a better flowers to James's resting place because it's twenty five years on and. I've got a big family and I'm wanting every single one of them to be there if possible just to pay a little bit of respect to them. Mm. Put a flower down for them, spend a bit of time there and then we can all just go off and do our own thing. Mm-hmm. On the book itself, Denise, what, what was your overall aim of it, do you think? Is it do you just purely want to celebrate James and what do you want people to take from the book when they read it? It's not celebrating James, I wouldn't say that. I, I just want to give something back and I can only do that through words because I can't approach every single person that supports me so anyone who buys the book not only are they the support me in buying it but there's also a donation going to the charity from that as well um i say the purpose of writing the book i just wanted people to know what james was actually like and they are my words mm-hmm. in telling it mm-hmm. and how proud are you of the the work that's been done by the james bulger memorial trust in his name do you know what? It keeps us going, doesn't it? And I am really proud that we've got the caravan, but our new aim now is we need to lodge because we've got a static caravan, the door, door frames are so narrow, and we've got families with kids in wheelchairs, even parents in wheelchairs or, you know, carers, and we can't. And it's sad, but we can't accept the nominations because the wheelchairs can't fit through the doors. So we're now looking into buying a lodge, which is a lot bigger and more open spaces in it. Um, so that's our aim and that's what we're going for now through we get it by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Now James would have been 28 this March, um, his brothers, Michael is 24, Thomas yeah. is 19 and Leon's 18. Yeah. How proud are you of the, the three lads? And oh God, I couldn't think? be any more proud than I am. I keep telling them that. You know, we have a little bit of banter, um, especially our youngest. You know, I always like teasing, come here and give up and he goes, shut up, a typical teenager. But, you know, do you know what? I absolutely idolise them. I absolutely love them. And do you know what? The other the protecting that I've done of them over the years, it's now turned onto me. Because everywhere they wanted to go, I said no. But Stuart, they go to Stuart and go, can't she, she let us go, can I? And he go, well, go and wears it to where I'll drop you off and then I'll pick you back up so you're, you're not travelling anywhere on your own. So we used to cave into little certain things like that, but now it's backfires on me. They're, they're wanting to know where I am, where I'm going, what time I'll be in. <laughs> <laughs> and they talk about James. You've never you've never been the sort of person who didn't want his name mentioned in the house. They they openly talk about him, and you talk about yeah. him yourself. I wanted, although my lads never met the brother, mm. I wanted them to know him. So James is, he, he's always getting spoke about in ours. It's not... I can't even say we only speak about some anniversaries or Christmas because mm. he's he's constantly getting spoke about in our house. Mm. Um, you know, it might even like Michael Corson, brother brother James. Well, they all do, don't they? Mm. So I'm I'm open that I've rubbed my good memories of of James onto that them. So I think that with doing that, I think they can't think that they know him without meeting them. And finally, last word we'll give to Stuart, I think. Stuart, do you want to yep. say something about this this lady you married all those years ago? Nearly 20 years ago, is it? Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> again, it's, it's, it's a weird thing, because obviously, um, over the years, in, in like various charity work that we've done, we got quite involved in Mayside Police. Obviously, uh, Bernard Hogan, how uh, we came quite close at one point, didn't we? Mm. And he said, it's remarkable, looking back at Denise, from when it first happened, it's always them, obviously that 
uh, Fateful press conference and stuff to how she is now. People like that have media trends, stuff like that, and obviously get told what to do. We've got you know, people on the sides making sure all's correct and said in the, uh, the right format. So just seeing her, how she's coped with it all and come out with the answers over the years and the battle she's had. And again, obviously, people that obviously know Denise know she's got a wicked sense of humour. Um, and I think that's where, over the years, where some of the things have come up, saying like, you know, oh, she's hard-facing, she's battling this, she's battling that. She's battling for justice for her son and other people. But when you get to know Denise and the stuff that we do for the charity and that, we do have a smile, we do have a laugh, don't we? Mm. And it's, it's great to see that, that smile on her face. But we also have a lot of help in the charity as well with our yeah. ambassadors, affiliates, patrons. I mean, once we all get together, the, the laughs are just all nice. But it's getting together, isn't it? Because yeah. they're all so busy in their own little jobs and stuff like that. But I say, once we do get together, I'm hoping that they're all there for me on the book launch because it's going to be one hell of a crack and nice. Mm. I think they are all there. Tell us about the book launch. Uh, where, is it, where is it taking place? It's actually taking place in the Sweets Hotel, which is not far from here. Um, we're just going to get everyone together, aren't we? Just to celebrate the book being released. Um, probably be knackered because we've got so much on before the book yeah. release. And then London, Maria, and everywhere. Yeah, because you're looking at different venues, obviously, to do the book launch. Obviously, some people are saying about a way you can do book sign and stuff like that. And that's not really what it's all about for yourself, is it? No. By then, the book will be released. Dean's done all the interviews. Then have friends, family, and obviously people we invite along. And just obviously a little celebration. Um, and obviously we're even getting a gift from Simon Cavill, aren't we, for the night? Yeah. yeah um, Kevin, out of X Factor. And Simon Cavill's going to get a gift back off me. Yeah. He's going to get a book. A book. <laughs> so basically we're trying to get like a, an, an act for the evening um, and Denise and I will uh, contact and psycho to see if we get uh, rack soon and stuff like that. But obviously they've got stuff on, but this ends up um, Kevin. Um, so he's coming to perform the night, so that'd be quite a good little I'm thing. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, but no one knows about that either, so that's a little uh, scoop for you. And that's Thursday, January the 25th? Yes, the it is, yeah. Good. Okay, Denise and Stuart, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks.